this. Later this morning through the afternoon. Two verses. And again, I'm going to try and keep this to about 25, 30 minutes with the business meeting taking place here tonight. And we'll see. Last week, we thought we were supposed to have the business meeting, so I had a shorter message ready. And we all know how that went. That, that, that was not shorter. And so we'll, we'll see how this one goes. But anyhow, I just want to look at a couple of verses quickly here. <coughs> Excuse me. In verse 14, it says, Now, we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Father in heaven, I pray that you bless us today. I pray that you would work. And uh, Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that you control what I say and how I say it, Lord, that it would help us, that it would draw us closer to you. <coughs> Again, Lord, that you would work and be glorified and honored. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here who is lost, does not know Christ as Savior, Lord, I do pray that even this evening they'd repent and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, please work. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning I was going over what I was going to preach here tonight. And, and uh, this, this came upon my mind and, and uh, started getting into this. Uh, I think it's an incredibly important principle that we're going to be dealing with tonight. The church, the, the church is made up of sinners. We're all, we're all sinners. We're all lost. And the problem is, as sinners, we tend to forget that in the lives of others. Um, every single one of us has a sinful flesh, and that sinful flesh will work very hard to thwart, to hinder your spiritual growth as a Christian. Um, which we should be growing. We should be conforming more and more to the image of Jesus Christ. I, I mean, literally, seeing that as one of our goals each day when we wake up or getting into the Word of God to have a genuine, uh, a genuine desire, a genuine prayer. Lord, change me. But we have, we have a flesh that hinders that. It seeks to prevent us from glorifying God as we should. Because all of us have a sinful flesh, all of us have a sinful flesh, Guess what's going to happen? We're going to have problems. I mean, look at Tim Thomas. Yeah, exactly, brother. Thank you. But see what's easy about that? He knows it. Do you know that's the hardest thing to get people to see right there? <clears throat> so, because of this, we're going to have problems in the church and we have to expect problems that, that will occur and handle them right. And I've seen problems handled so poorly in, in services. I've given illustrations before. There's times I've been, I, I, again, there's this one church. It always stands out in my mind, this event, because I was just stunned to watch it. Being a visitor in a bigger church and just watching the pastor, the service that ended, ream, just ream a teenager in front of others. I could not believe what I was witnessing. There might have been problems. I have no idea. But I know that's not how you handle it. Sometimes when people struggle with sin, we throw them aside. 
We have different responses. Sometimes when we see somebody who's weak, you've got to be careful this one. What we tend to do, sometimes we tend to mock them because it makes us look better. Looks, it makes us look more spiritual. <clears throat> or if someone offends us, sometimes we seek retribution. Our text deals with all of these, if you've noticed. Too often we seek our own and not the good of others. This all happens when the flesh is in control. And so often the flesh gets in control. Isn't it amazing that sometimes the flesh gets in control? And we just forget about spirituality. As if we can just excuse it. What in the world? Do you understand? Those are the moments that matters. And get this. The truth is, one of the best measures of spiritual growth of spirituality in a church is how it handles its problems. I prefer to just quit. <laughs> it's true in your own spirit, not, not, not just as, a, as, as our local church, as this institution, this local body. It's also true in your own life. What will determine your success in life is acknowledging and how you handle failures. How we deal, so how do we as a church deal with the issues that Paul is bringing up with those who are genuinely struggling in different areas? This is the key to church growth, by the way. Not necessarily numerical, although I believe it has a part with that, but true, genuine, spiritual growth of a church. When problems arise, we need to be able to handle those problems spiritually speaking. And by the way, in this text, let me just give, let me give some context. It's hitting my mind right now with what Paul's dealing with. He has already dealt with, he's finished in this chapter dealing with the shepherd to the sheep. What he's dealing with now is sheep to sheep, not involving the shepherd. So I'm going to look at what the Apostle Paul addresses here on something that can truly strengthen our church spiritually. Paul is dealing with sheep to sheep in two areas, and I'm probably just going to cover one tonight. And the first thing he does, he gives advice for dealing with people in the church, is the context, with problems. And how to go about that. So this is something to remember. This ain't just something just to throw in your mind and then walk out the door and forget ten minutes later. I don't believe any of the messages are for that matter. So let's look at verse 14. Let's get into this. I'm down to 20, 25 minutes. All right. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak. Stop right there. Three types of people are brought up here. And Paul gives an admonition on how you're to deal with each one of those groups within the church. All three of the groups he listed are those that are struggling. Okay? He deals with the disruptive. If you want to write the, I'll give you a little outline real quick if you want to write that down. 
the disruptive, the despondent, and the delicate, or the unruly, the feeble-minded, and the weak. These are groups that pretty much will be found in every church. All at these different levels, they're going to have them. These are those, all three of these groups need help spiritually. There's something wrong. This is sheep to sheep. All right? Now, it gives great advice for me as a pastor on how I handle those situations. I, mean, I, I keep these verses in mind to know, okay, am I dealing with one of these groups? I have what I need to do. <clears throat> we are each other's helpers. That does not mean, please don't take that wrong, please. That does not mean that when you see the problem, be a help. Don't, don't... There are times we really, really messed up when we think we're helping and we are not. <clears throat> we live in a culture that, for the most part, if you break something, you throw it away. Isn't that true? You break something, you throw it away. When it could be just a really easy fix of the item, you know? All of a sudden, you know, you have something electronic that doesn't work. Ah, just toss it. When really, if you opened it up, there's just a wire that came loose. It would take you five minutes. You fix it, and it's good as new. But when, usually when something's broken, we just throw it away. We'll get another one. We tend to treat broken people the same way. We'll just get another one. Go on your way. Roy, get out. Do you know how often I wanted to say that, brother? <laughs> so Paul here has given us instruction on how to deal with these three problem areas in church. And, he, and he's clear. He's dealing with three types. He says, you're going to see this in your church. And remember, this is, we're going through Acts right now. So think about this. Do you remember as when Paul went through his second... I know we just concluded the third missionary journey, so we were probably in the second missionary journey ten years ago. I'm not sure. But nonetheless, when we went through the second missionary journey, remember when he got to Thessalonica and when he left? He gets forced out. He goes to Berea. Remember his heart for this church? How concerned he was? To the point, he, I mean, he sent, he sent Timothy, Luke. He, he stayed by himself. He said, I need you to go back there. He couldn't return. Now, he would end up back there about five years later, but nonetheless, it would be a, quite a while. But he had such a heart for this church. And remember, he's writing this. This is less than a year after the start of that church. <clears throat> he uses the word here, exhort. I, I need to touch on that word. I, I love the wording that God gives us in the Bible. He says, now we exhort you. This is a really strong term. It has a sense and the meaning of urgency to it. It means don't wait. Be that encouragement. Don't wait. There's an urgency when people are in one of these three states. The word exhort that is here it's actually translated here in the New Testament. 
um, 20 different English words are used. The majority of the times, though, that it is used by far, it all deals with strong begging. It's the same word used in Romans 12:1, beseech. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. There's an urgency to it. There's a need to it. It's strong asking. It's strong begging. So listen, this is what you need to do. It's urgent. It needs to take place. Don't wait. So let's get into the three groups. First off, the disruptive, the unruly. Our church will have those who are unruly. Is Holly here right now? Is she not able to make it? I was hoping she would. Oh, good. That is unruly right there. That's a definition of unruly. First person that comes to my mind is Holly with unruly. She switched spots. I didn't know where she was. But no, no, seriously, though, all churches have those who are unruly. The word means this. So, okay, so what do we mean by that? What's unruly? It means careless, out of line. It was a military term in the day. Paul used a military term right here. It was applied to a soldier who would not keep rank, but insisted marching his own way. Just like we have people, then it's, there's this ridiculous model today that Christians like to grab. Uh, uh, what's it, how does it, I can't remember how it goes now. Um, I beat to my own drum or something like that. You know what I'm talking about? I guess not. For the Christian, it's not about beating to your own drum. It's about submitting to God. It's about making your life about Him. It's about self-denial. Not, not, not establishing self as something great. I will do my own. No, it's about, Lord, what would you have me to do? I wasn't yelling at her, I promise. <clears throat> so he uses the military, and we all know that, you know, a, a soldier that is guilty of disorderly conduct insubordinate, disobeying, derelict, there's no way that military unit is going to be effective. That has to be dealt with and dealt with swiftly. I've spent nine years in the military. That's why there's the UCMJ. It goes well beyond civil law. We'll put you in prison for being late to work. You say, that's absurd. No, it's not. They have to keep order. We're serving something far greater The person who has this problem unruly, let's try and define it further. What it looks like. Um, let me try and give some characteristics of it. They can find a problem with almost anything the church does. It's almost looking for problems. Let me, they don't look for what's right. They look for what's wrong. That person is unruly. They're not, trying to, they're not trying to be in line with what the church is doing. They're trying to do their own thing. They can be against the authority in the church. By the way, the authority that a, that, that a pastor has, I have as a pastor, one, it's not political. I'm not a political appointee. All right? <clears throat> Nor is it social based on status. It's spiritual 
that's biblically based. Don't treat it like a political position or a status position. It's simply a biblical position. A person who is unruly sometimes manifests itself in this way. They can be unfaithful or apathetic. You can tell that spiritually there's just no desire. No desire. Know what that person needs? Encouragement. Help. We're going to see how it describes to do that and to do it the right way because it's going to give us the word warn. They can be angry or contentious. That's unruly. Allowing a measure of the flesh to control. Sometimes a person can just be lazy on purpose to the point of hurting the church. Majority of the time, they will not want accountability, but everybody else needs it. And it can usually be very, very critical. Again, it manifests usually in individual one of these things, rarely all of them put together. Sometimes people like this will just be looking for a reason to leave, not a reason to stay. Easy to get bitter. Boy, be careful you don't fall into this. Listen, I am giving you the warning. You don't want to be here. You need to be able to, be able to go to the Word of God in seer condition and just submit yourself unto God. By the way, you can find problems in any church if you want to. We're all sinners. You want to you find a problem? You... you I'll give you a list on my own. Come to my office. But you know what? There's a principle involved when we, as a local institution, as sinners trying to serve God, trying to conform to the image of Christ, trying to have this church exactly as best we can, as the Lord would have it, with feeding the sheep and putting together, using the spiritual gifts, hopefully for the growth and different ministries, all trying to promote us, trying to glorify God and be conformed to the image of Christ, doing our task of reaching the lost. When that takes place, Proverbs 14.4 comes into play. Where there are no oxen, the crib is clean. But much increases by strength of the ox. Because we're doing things, you know what? At times there's going to be a mess. You know what? If you come in here because things are taking place and things are out of order, good. That means there's people here and something was taking place. Good! God, it's, it's, not, it's not by accident that you're here at the Independent Baptist Church of Anchorage. God in His sovereignty is in control. I mean, think about this. Most of us here, not all of us, are transplants from other places. I grew up in Cleveland and I'm in Alaska. We got people from Texas and oh, Michigan. Everybody should leave Michigan, so I get all the people here from Michigan, of course. Idaho. I mean, Washington, Florida. Of course, Bonnie's always been in Alaska, I think. <clears throat> I 
God tries to use all of us to help each other, to help the church grow, to help the church thrive. But you can have an unruly person, and sometimes more than one within a church, depending on size, that sort of gets, as the word means, out of line with that. That they're not coming for that purpose anymore. It's no longer about the spiritual growth of their life or the spiritual growth of the church and fellow members, but it's about self and what their wisdom can find wrong. It's a dangerous place to be in. So what are we to do? Paul tells us, warn them that are unruly. A.T. Robertson says the, the verb there means to put sense into. Usually if I was little, my dad was going to put sense into me, it involved a belt. It means that, but get this now, this is interesting. It means to come alongside and put sense into. That gives great meaning to it. To come alongside to put sense into it. That's where before you go, you know, you know this you're friends with them and you can see, oh man, they're, they're just getting so critical of everything. I need to help. And that's like, you've got to look as you need to help. Not that you need to show them they're wrong. Because now we have two problems taking place. But that you need to help. And it's praying, Lord, please, give me wisdom to come alongside. To give sense, to let them see what they're doing. <coughs> the idea of coming alongside closely, giving warning. Letting them know the consequences. Encouraging them. This isn't the direction you want to go with this. Trying to give warning. Again, I remember one of my members in the church in Kudu Kudu in New Guinea who was, you could see it. He was so excited for so long, so faithful. And then all of a sudden, a little bit of unfaithfulness started popping up. It's always a bit of a red flag, but also that starts to pop up a little bit more and more. And then it just showed up as a little bit more distance. A little bit more distance was taking place. And now I know, ah, something's off with Jonah. Something's off. You know, then begin praying, Lord, show him. And then I remember trying to come alongside and give warning. Jonah, man, I'm seeing something. This isn't a good direction. What, what are you talking? You know what I'm talking about. You know things aren't the same with you. What can I do to help you? Well, it's this and that. Wait, just stop. What can I do to help you? That's not going to help you. How about tomorrow, both of us, we're going to start in Proverbs chapter 3. All right, I want you to text me when you finish. And let's talk about it. The second group is the despondent. 
completely different than the first group. It uses the word feeble-minded. Many times we think this deals with those who are mentally challenged, but it does not at all. That's not the meaning of the word at all. It deals with those who are despondent. Those who worry all the time can manifest itself in different ways. Whether it could be constantly quitting different things in church or quitting church altogether. Always looking on the dark side of things. Uh, another common trait of, of, of despondent, a feeble-minded is when, when it gets tough, just pulling back. The group is actually almost the opposite in one sense of the unruly. The unruly are too sure of themselves, and that's their downfall. The feeble-minded have zero confidence. Therefore, they cannot take criticism. They can commonly get mad quickly when someone hurts their feelings. Constantly worried about the future. The, to me, what really grabbed my attention when studying this out was when I looked at the straight translation of feeble-minded. Little soul. Little soul. We don't use that term today, but they did then. They, they really used the opposite term. That, that's how the Lord was having Paul use that term, was the opposite of that day. There was a common term that was mega psyche, big soul. Aristotle said that meant that the megopsychos is the man who has achieved much, claimed much, and deserves much. Another meaning of large soul from that day refers to a person who takes great risk because there is great principle and truth at stake. It refers to a person of courage, the person of boldness, the person who will put his life on the line for a noble cause. The person who has a sense of adventure, who loves challenge, who seeks the competition, who loves the battle because he takes the victory. The one who is fearless in the face of difficulty, the one who is not afraid of persecution, the one who has a vision and achieves great things because he sees every opportunity that is before him. Now, again, I'm not giving you a biblical definition. I'm giving you definitions from that day of what they meant by the term big soul because it was a, considered a compliment. I'm reading a, a, a book right now on uh, Teddy Roosevelt. He would be big soul. All right. So Paul was using the opposite of that. A person who in their mind doesn't have that measure of confidence is weak. Weak in their soul. Little soul. Fear controls. Worry controls. Hate change. Just like all of our We'll find out how little your soul is this year when you come to camp in the summer. <laughs> the change in how it's going to look. It's going to be very good, don't worry. It's all right. The person who's little-souled can see, they can usually see the bad in every situation. In other words, you know, a circumstance presents itself, instead of seeing the, the greatness of the opportunity, yes, but there's this that goes with it. And that's what they focus on. Little soul. 
They have trouble rising above circumstances in life. Usually the circumstances control. They fear failure, and so they attempt very little. They're almost like weights. Like their soul is just weighted. I think we could see how this could hinder a church. Man, let, let's say the devil was working and all of a sudden he got 30 of us, little soul. You think that caused problems? <laughs> yes, it would. I mean, for the most part, you've got to watch out. One unruly, two unruly. It's, it, we got problems. Think of how this hindered the children of Israel from taking the promised land. Those who were under the circumstances that allowed fear to control. Directly disobedient of what God had given them to do. Afraid of the challenge. Fearful to walk by faith. The truth is, if you're going to live life you're going to have battles. I remember a time I was a teenager on. I learned it very quickly, especially, again, not growing up in a Christian home, getting saved, and then after my freshman year, really starting to take off and serve Christ. Battles started. They started. And you're going to learn, if, if you're going to do things in life, you're going to have battles. You're going to have failures. Life has risk. You have to learn to accept it. Listen, we're going to attempt this. It might fail. But I'm not just going to sit on the sidelines. I want to live life. If, if it fails, it fails. Then we'll go on to something else. If you're going to accomplish much in life for the Lord, you're going to take risk. You know, it's kind of like the message I preach there was it Matthew, <laughs> excuse me, 14. There's times in life you've got to get out of the boat. So what are we to do? Oh, wow. I'll probably just finish up with this group. What are we to do with this group? Notice what it says here. You warn the unruly, but this group here, you comfort the feeble-minded. All right? That's the instruction, to comfort, to encourage, to speak encouraging, comforting words. We all know there is power in words. There's power in it. How a soft answer turneth away wrath. How, how a word fitly spoken. Remind him of things of like how great God is. The power of faith. Because so often, this is the group that although they believe God, they tend to forget about him every day in a practical way. Let me just finish up with this real quick. The delicate, the weak. <clears throat> he says, support the weak. We'll just finish here. Obviously, this is not physical weakness. It's dealing with spiritual weakness. 
Weakness can usually manifest itself in two ways, scripturally speaking. First, we see scripturally those who are weak in faith. All right? This hinders their walk. Um, I mean, we see examples of this throughout the New Testament. Sometimes they can see things as simple, which are not simple. I mean, it, it, it takes different approaches. Like in the New Testament, meat offered to idols and what was taking place and, and the debate you have. And, and so Paul was saying, listen, we know there's nothing to it, but you can't use your liberty to be an offense to another brother. Because you had, you had almost two different problems taking place. You had those who thought that, no, that this was a great sin, which to Paul it wasn't. But he also had to remind him, listen, you also had those that were coming out of paganism and that had the ability to remind them of the life they came out of. So don't go near it. It wasn't that in itself it was sinful. It wasn't. Sometimes those who are weak spiritually can actually bring it upon themselves, we see it in Scripture and Romans, burdens they don't need to carry. It can lead to burnout. You can get so, just so wearisome. I mean, go back to the children of Israel on the Sabbath day. Oh my goodness, during the time of Christ. Think of just how worn out they were. Frustration can build. More often than not, the weakness here isn't necessarily that, but it also deals with morally weak. It seems these are the weak people that you, you barely pick them up out of the hole of sin they're in, get them dusted off, and know what happens? They're right back in it. There's a weakness there. More often, this is the case of the direction that we see scripturally. These are those who come forward, understand this, in all sincerity. They're not being hypocritical. When they come down here to pray, they mean it before God with all their heart. Lord, I'm sorry. I want to do better. You know what happens? Monday comes. And they're down again. Too often our response is, I knew it wouldn't last. You go to help them, they receive it, but they fail again. They're weak. Do you understand that? They're weak. We're not dealing with somebody who is trying to run as far away from God as we can. We're we're seeing somebody who's struggling with the flesh, who wants to go towards the Lord, but the flesh is just so much in control. They're in Romans 7, the good that I would, I do not, yet the evil that I would not, that I do. So what are we to do? Support the weak. Hold fast, it means. Hold fast to the weak is the literal translation. Hold fast. It's almost like they're hanging over an edge. Don't let them go. There are those that it might take one year, it might take two years, it might take five years, but as long as they got the direction, they're saying, I want to do it, they keep on following. We help them up. Get right. 
Repent. Now, come on, you got this. You all praying for them. You try to institute maybe some type of measure of discipleship, accountability, to try and be a help. If they fail, you do it again. The word for the word here means to faithfully care for, keep close by. It's helping them be accountable. You're helping, in other words, that one that's weak, until they can get on their own more, you're trying to be a measure of strength for them. It's kind of like when you do lift weights. You know, all of a sudden, you know, you're doing the bench press. If you're doing a certain amount of weight, do you know what you need? You need a spotter. You need somebody right there that can grab on and help. Well, for this Christian, you're being the spotter. You're letting them know that you got this. You got it. Come on. And if they fail, hey, we're going to try this again. Don't let the bar fall and choke them out. So we had three different groups here tonight. We'll stop there. That we looked at. The disruptive, the despondent, and the delicate. The unruly, the feeble-minded, and the weak. It's important how we respond. With heads bowed and eyes closed.